Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom. Shalom. Welcome to B'nai My name is Ephraim Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries. And from our family to yours, thank you for inviting us into your home each and every week to uh, set apart and celebrate the Sabbath with us. Thank you for joining us. We will have uh, worship and Kiddush to set apart the Sabbath and the Torah teaching here in our broadcast. A couple of announcements that we have uh, for this week for the ministry. Uh, it is the March 1st, and so we are happy to announce that uh, our uh, Feast of Tabernacles registration is now open. If you go to tabernaclesevent.com, you can go and sign up there, sign up your family to join us in Chandler, Oklahoma, for another one of our amazing uh, Feast of Tabernacles gatherings. It's like a conference. There's many people that come and camp, and we have amazing Evening programs of worship, teaching, children's programs, youth programs, workshop teachings, many things that many people have enjoyed for many, many years. Our theme this year is Hope, Faith, and Miracles. And so we hope that you can enjoy that event with us. And so if you would, go to tabernaclesevent.com. All the details are there. And you can get signed up and registered to join us for our Feast of Tabernacles in Chandler, Oklahoma. We hope that everyone would be able to join us there. For that appointed time. Before we get, of course, to Tabernacles, we have another event that's going on. Our Shavuot event is a hotel conference that's in Dallas, Texas. It's June uh, 7th through 9th. If you're looking for a uh, messianic hotel conference in North Dallas this summer, uh, go to ShavuotEvent.com. All of the details are there. We are meeting at the Wyndham Dallas Suites Park Central. Uh, it's right there at Coit Road and 635, if you know where that is, in the Dallas, Texas area near Richardson, and so many people are will join us there in North Texas regionally, not only from there, but also Oklahoma, Kansas. Many brethren come to join us for that, and so we hope that you will sign your family up and join us as well. Go to ShavuotEvent.com to sign up there, and even after you register with us, you still have to make your accommodations with the hotel, um, but we are looking forward to a wonderful Shavuot event there. And we hope that everybody can join us for that. Our feast cycle is starting back over here very soon with Passover. And so as you prepare for the appointed times and the new cycle to begin this year, uh, we hope that you continue to join us for all of our broadcasts and all of our events uh, that we host. Um, want to always remind you also, we have our Messianic Marketplace uh, that you can go to, MessianicMarketplace.com, and you can get all of uh, our teachings and products to prepare your family to celebrate all the feasts. So if you go to MessianicMarketplace.com and you can see all the products and teachings there, we encourage you to take a look at that.
that's all of our events, or, or, sorry, all of our announcements before our events uh, this week. Now, let us set apart this Sabbath and this broadcast with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Shabbat Shalom. We're the Judah family, and welcome to our home. Please join us as we welcome in the Sabbath. Now the blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Pri HaGahafen Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. And now the Hamotzi, blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz, we give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together, as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Now, husbands, let's bless our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wives that you have given to us. We thank you for giving us wives of Proverbs, Lord. Father, I pray that you would pour out a special blessing upon my wife this Sabbath day. I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her in all the things that she does here in our household. As she takes care of the children, as she teaches them and educates them, as she takes care of our home, I pray, Lord, that she knows how valuable she is and how her worth is far above jewels. I thank you for the wonderful blessing that she is to me, to our children, to our household, and I pray you pour out a special blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. And now we will bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. Amen. Now we bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you 
and grant you peace, and may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. 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 Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Baruch Adonai Hamvarach Le'olam Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha Ba'elim Adonai Michamocha Nedahar Bachudesh Nohora Techilot Ohosefele Ohosefele Who is like you? Among the gods, who is like you, Lord? There is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord. Who is like you? Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu melech ha'olam, asher natan lanu et derech ha'yeshua b'mashiach yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et ha-shabbat, la'asot et ha-shabbat, l'adrotam barit olam, b'nei ovayom b'nei Yisrael othi le'olam, k'sheshet yamim asadonai et ha-shamayim v'et ha-aretz ovayom ha-shavi shabbat v'inafash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you'd all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto Le'olam Vayed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai Ochecha b'chol levavcha uv'chol nashicha uv'chol meodecha v'heyu hadevarim ha'ale asher nechim e'zavcha hayom alevavcha 
Vashinan tam la venecha, vadepardabam beshiftacha, bayetacha, uvlatacha, vederech ushakbika, ufkumika, ukesha tam la ota yadecha, vaheu la totavolt binenecha, uketav tama mazuzo betecha, uvisha recha. All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
to chapter 35, where our portion will begin for this week. And as you open the scripture, I will do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher b'chabanu mikol ha'amim Venatan lanu et torato Baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-torah ha-amein Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is entitled Vayachel, which uh, comes from the first verse of chapter 35 in Exodus. This portion, along with next week's portion of Pekudeh, on most years are taught together as a double portion. It's the first time in our Torah cycle where we have a double portion where two sections or, or parts of Scripture are taught together as a double portion. Well, this year we have a Jewish leap year where we have 13 months in the Hebrew year as opposed to 12, in which all of the double portions throughout our Torah cycle, and there's several more coming up in Leviticus and also in Numbers, that are taught together. They're taught as double portions. This year, however, we get to separate them. So we get to focus on some passage of scriptures, passages that may normally get taught together and lumped together. We get to focus on them when, with a little bit more in-depth study. So very exciting this year. So this uh, week, we are teaching the portion of Vayachel, and we next week we will close out the book of Exodus with the Torah portion of Pekudeh. So here we get to focus on a shorter passage of scripture that sometimes we don't get to focus on uh, on most years. So I'm very excited about that. Our Torah portion by Akel, it comes from that first phrase in chapter 35 where it says, and then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together to say to them. Now that phrase gathered or and he assembled as some translations say is our portion named by Akel. The root word of that is kahal. To gather together is what that means. It's the same root word that you may have heard. A Hebrew uh, Messianic congregation is called a kehilat. It's, a, it's an assembly or a fellowship. So that Hebrew word kahal is the root word of that. And it means to gather. It's very fascinating here. Moses is gathering together the children of Israel. If you remember from last week's portion, we had the sin of the golden calf. Moses had come down from the mountain. He heard what sounded like the sound of war in the camp when it actually was sounds of rejoicing and worship of a golden calf. And he came down from the mountain and we had that great sin. He cast out the, cast down the stones, the tablets that God had made of the testimony, the, the tablets of stone. 
broke those because the covenant had been broken. And then we had the whole last part of last week's portion of Moses pleading with God for forgiveness for the children of Israel that had sinned. The Lord had spoken to Moses and said, no, you, you can go into the land with them, but I'm not going to go in with them. They are stiff-necked people. They worshipped an idol before me. And it's, it's so fascinating to me that that was the very first commandment, basically the first part of the Ten Commandments was, you shall have no other gods before me. And that's exactly what they did. This was the first word that God spoke to them, and they couldn't even get that one correct. And this is that sin. And so then Moses pleading with the Lord, the Lord shared with Moses his 13 attributes of mercy, being forgiveness, uh, being so being forgiving to those that have sinned, committed forgiving transgression, iniquity and sin. And so then Moses prayed back to him and said, Lord, they've sinned. They've committed iniquity. Would you then forgive them? And God did forgive them. And that then the covenant was renewed in the last part of Exodus chapter 34. Now, After all of that has happened, Moses is now gathering the people together. Excuse me. Moses had been on the mountain receiving all the words and the instruction of the building and constructing of the tabernacle. All of those instructions, he was on the mountain receiving those. Then he comes down to find the sin of the golden calf. And now this is finally when Moses can gather the people together. And finally say what the Lord was wanting to share. Remember, this is the same God that spoke to them from the mountain, the Ten Commandments. He gave them the book of the covenant, all the laws and instructions that for us to live amongst one another that was given to us earlier in Exodus as well. And then God called Moses back up onto the mountain to give them all of these instructions. Moses had not yet spoken to the whole congregation of Israel Until all of those things have now passed. We're finally coming together and gathering them all together to hear these words and to hear these instructions. So what is this first commandment that Moses is coming to say? The first thing that Moses is going to speak back to the people after God has said all these things. What are the first words? Well, let me continue reading on here in Exodus chapter 35 where it says this. (coughs) Again, excuse me. These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Wow. This commandment that we've heard several times over now about the Sabbath. Moses, God was speaking to Moses and gave him this commandment. This is also goes back to the Ten Commandments that honor the Sabbath day was a part of those. So the people had heard this instruction before. Man, it's amazing. Moses has been talking to God for 40 days and 40 nights. Yet this is the first thing that Moses gives to the people when he's received all this instruction to build a tabernacle. Amongst the children of Israel, God is going to do. I would if I was me, the thing that I would lead off with is this, is that God has forgiven us of our sin and he desires to dwell within the camp of Israel. He's going to dwell with us in it. We're going to build a tabernacle and a sanctuary for God to dwell his presence and his glory to dwell amongst the children of Israel. Why wouldn't Moses lead off with that? Well, there's a couple of reasons that the sages say and other Torah teachers would say this is that he's giving this. Well, one, if you do remember this, this is also the last thing that God spoke to Moses before he came down from the mountain with the tablets. 
If you go back in our passage, as God was speaking, giving all the instruction there, at the end of chapter 31 of Exodus, the last thing God spoke to Moses on the mountain was this thing about Sabbath. It's a perpetual covenant. It's an everlasting sign between me and the children of Israel forever. So Moses is leading off with the last thing that God spoke. It really causes us to take pause and look back and it's like, man, this whole thing about Sabbath is extremely important to God. Very important. It even circumvents, it, 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 it is superior in uh, power to, the, to building the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. Because Moses didn't lead off with that. He led off with this commandment about Sabbath. If you do remember, this does go back to the garden. This goes back to creation. Sabbath was something that God created and blessed on the seventh day of all of creation. This goes back to his covenant with mankind, not with, not just with the children of Israel. Sabbath is to the Lord. The, the, everywhere that it describes the Sabbath in the scripture, it talks about how the Sabbath is for the Lord. That this was created as a time, as an appointed time to him, to him, the most high God. If you go to Leviticus chapter 23, where we have the commandments for all of the appointed times before the Lord, it doesn't start with Passover. No, the first three verses of chapter 23 talks about the Sabbath. It is the first appointed time, Moedim, before the Lord. God has set it apart and sanctified it beyond all other things. I heard a great comparison here. We are going to build a tabernacle. Yes, we're going to build a dwelling place, a sanctuary for God to dwell. It's a sanctuary that exists in a volume of space, on a, in a location. That it's a, it's a physical sanctuary. But the Sabbath is a sanctuary in time. The Sabbath is an, a finite amount of time between sundown to sundown, sundown on Friday to sundown on, on Saturday, that that is the Sabbath, and it is to be a set-apart time. Though, so when you go to gather together on the Sabbath day, you are kind of doing something where you're combining time and space. You are celebrating the time that is Sabbath, the sanctuary of the Sabbath in a certain time frame, and you are going to a place that is a set apart sanctuary for that worship to be. And so we are building something. We're, we're kind of combining the spiritual and the physical together here in this place where we're talking about the Sabbath that we need to make sure we understand this commandment, this covenant that we have, this perpetual everlasting covenant that we have with God for a specific time, that is the Sabbath. We need to establish that first before we build this physical sanctuary. We, this goes back to the covenant in the garden. Who is God? He is the almighty creator of heaven and earth. Let us never forget that. It's one of the things that helps us to understand that he is the God above all, that we are to believe in him above all others because we set apart a time for him. This is the same thing I've, I've, I've said before, that when you have a relationship, a covenant relationship with somebody, you celebrate the anniversaries that you have with that person. Married couples will celebrate the day they met. 
their first date that they ever went on. They'll celebrate, they'll go back to the same restaurant where maybe where they met. They'll also celebrate a wedding anniversary when they get married. And there will be dates and times that will be set apart to celebrate that covenant relationship. That's what the Moedim are for our relationship between us and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are anniversary times for us to remember the covenant that we have with them. And we have such a strong covenant between mankind and God that he has a weekly anniversary for us to remember that he is the God above all, the Sabbath. And he established this from the very beginning. So we must remember to understand that. The other thing practically that's being taught here by Moses going into this instruction about The Sabbath day is this. He's going to tell everybody that we are going to build the sanctuary of God. This is going to be a very exciting thing. This is going to be very, everybody is going to go and bring things together so that they might build the dwelling place of God within their midst. And they might get very excited to do that work. And that there's going to be a lot of work involved. There's going to be, we're going to be hammering metal and we're going to be weaving curtains and fabric and we're going to be, and we're cutting boards and, and, and building something, which is going to be an amount of work to do that, to accomplish that goal. But God is reminding us that six days you shall work, but the seventh you shall rest. That we, even in the process of doing something that God has commanded, that however, He still wants us to rest and remember that Sabbath day. So when the people all came together and started the building, starting doing that work, and that first Friday came, and somebody was excited about, you know, they were laying the metal and they on the boards, and they had, you know, more boards to to make or more clasps to hook together to build the tabernacle. And when somebody, you know, they rang the bell and they said, it's time to stop work. As much as somebody sometimes loves their work so much that they don't mind working a little extra time, God, the master foreman of this task and this job, has told us, no, you're going to take a day off. You're going to cease from your labors. Because that's what God did back in, back in creation. God was creating the world. He created, created amazing, beautiful things from, from the earth to the plants to the creatures to man on the sixth day to the lights in the expanse of heavens. And when it says that God ceased from his work, he ceased creating. God is all powerful. God could have kept making things. He could have continued to create and create more here and more there. And God, and all of it was good. All of it was amazing and wonderful. And it's like, can you imagine if God had worked for, worked for 14 days instead of seven or six, I should say. If God had continued to create, what else would he have made? But even God himself ceased from creating even in the process of creating the world. He's commanding the children of Israel the same, is that they are going to create with amazing giftings and skillful nature, and they're going to be filled with the Spirit of God to build this sanctuary. The same spirit and creativity that God used to create the world is going to be used to create this tabernacle. And just like God ceasing from creating on the seventh day of creation, we are to cease from building and working and creating as well, even when we're doing this particular task to serve the Lord. Now, one of the questions also is interesting is this, is the priesthood after the sanctuary was built, the priests still served on the Sabbath day. There still was work to be done. Now, on one hand, yes, when we are doing a particular task, we are to cease from our labors. However, do we really ever, if we are committed in the service to the Lord, do we really ever cease serving the Lord? 
Of course not. Like I said, the Sabbath was also made for God. It was to be a Sabbath to the Lord is every time that we keep Sabbath. So when we go and when we have a holy convocation and assemble and the things that we do on the Sabbath, that is still a service to the Lord. So we have to remember that it's a difference between service to the Lord and what is defined as work. And so there's a little bit of a distinction there, but this is still something that um, that God is wanting to define for us. This idea of Sabbath before the work is then being done. Back to that word kahal, which means to gather. This is actually the second time in all of Scripture that that word appears, where the children of Israel gathered together to do something. Moses gathered them together. The first time, unfortunately, is back in Exodus chapter 32 with the sin of the golden calf. If you go back there, when it says in verse 1, it said the people saw Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. The people gathered together to Aaron and say to him, come make us God so that to go before us. For as for Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. See, this idea of gathering together, you always have to be, there's a fallacy that somebody can make where when people are gathered together that suddenly, oh, we got a lot of people together, Uh, now something wonderful is going to happen. No, it's possible for people to gather together and produce something that is not good, that is not wonderful. And so this idea of when we gather together, we want to have one mindset and one heart when the people gather together. That's why when we go into our congregations, the thing that that works is for there to be a leader. There's an anointed leader that leads the people in the mindset of what we are to do when we gather together. In the case of our Torah portion here, the people are being gathered together by Moses to receive this instruction from God. And so that's what we should all think and consider when we go into our kahal, kehilat, our congregations, and we go into those places to receive the word and, and the instruction, and good things are going to happen. However, it's possible that some people gather together sometimes for a purpose that is not what God has prescribed. That's done in a malicious way. So we have to remember that when we gather together in our communities and in our fellowships, we need to focus those gatherings on what the Lord would have us to do as Moses is doing here in our portion, rather than for us to assemble for some other means for our own purposes as it was in Exodus chapter 32. So now that the children of Israel have gathered together, Moses has given them this commandment. Now Moses is giving the words to the children of Israel that God spoke to him from the mountain. It says this in verse four, it says, and Moses spoke to all the congregation, of the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, take from among you an offering, the terumah. This was another portion where we talked about all of these things. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hairs, ram skins dyed red, tahash skins, uh, the Acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Verse 10, it says this. 
church, all who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its coverings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, the ark and its poles with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering, the table and its poles, all its utensils and the showbread. Also the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps, and the oil for the light. The incense altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, and the screen for the door at the entrance of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles, all its utensils, and the laver and its base. The hangings of the court, its pillars, their sockets, and the screen for the gate of the court. The pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court and their cords. The garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place. The holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. Here we have Moses has laid it all out for us. Everything that is going to be made. And actually, if you read these verses here in uh, Exodus 35, at verse 10 through verse 19, this is the order in which they will actually build the tabernacle. Everything as it was listed in order. As they go to begin, they will construct the tent and the sanctuary first. Then they will build the ark and the, and the mercy seat and all of those things. And this is the order in which they actually build these things. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, again, God is, gave us this instruction back in chapter 25 of Exodus saying, whoever is of a willing heart, give these materials. Give these things, give the, all of the, these things that are going to be brought for the, that the people have in their possession. Remember, they, they looted all of Egypt. They got from the Egyptians, they got gold and bronze and silver and, and all of these things, precious stones and all of these materials that they had that were considered valuable commodities in the ancient world. And those things that they had in their possession are going to be brought to build the tabernacle, physically to build the tabernacle. But what's very interesting here is at verse 10, where it says this, All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make what the Lord has commanded. Not only did the people bring the physical materials that was to, to build the sanctuary, but people also brought their skills. They were the ones that they had that they contributed, they contributed the skills. And in fact, some of the people that probably brought the gold were not the same people that actually molded and shaped the gold into those things. Because people brought only, not only the physical, but they also brought the, the non-physical, the, the skill, the ability, the wisdom, the knowledge to do those things and those actions. And you have to have both. Anytime that you've ever built anything in life or any organization or business that establishes something, not only do you have to have the raw materials to produce a product, but you have to have the skill and the mindset and the people to build that product and to create it. You have to have both. And this is another thing that I, I believe just comes, comes together beautifully in this whole idea that we always have to do things together with someone else. We have to combine the physical and the spiritual. You can't have one or the other. 
You have to combine them both together. And this actually also ties in together with when it talks to talks about the differences between men and women that generally, as we speak, uh, I'm speaking in great generalities. I'm not trying to make stereotypes here, but generally men tend to operate mentally with more logic while women tend to um, operate with more emotion. Now, that can be different. There can be emotional men and logical females. So, I'm, again, I'm speaking in generalities. But the thing that works the greatest is when two people come together, one with logic, one with emotion, and then they come together to form something and create something beautiful. They make, they make the best decisions that are the best decisions that are ever made in, t- in life have to do have, have weighed everything together with logic and with emotion. That's why men and women work so well together. That's why we get married. That's why that that sort of covenant relationship between two people, that's why it works. And in the same way that everything that God is building, creating, you have to not only physically do it, but there has to be the spiritual aspect and the mindset to do it as well. All of these things have to all come together at the same time. We are not supposed to supposed to do all these things just by ourselves. We're left to our own devices. You have to combine together. That's why we are being gathered together to do this work. It is not good for man to be alone. And that is and, and so that example is continued to set here where we have the materials being donated and the skill set of what to actually do with them. Now, more on this contrast here between men and women, because this gets very fascinating here as I continue reading. Verse 20 of chapter 35, it says this, And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord, the Lord's offering to the works of the tabernacle, to work on of the tabernacle of meeting for its service. And for for the holy garments, verse 22, they came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings and necklaces and jewelries of gold, and then it goes into the things that the people brought. First things first, here at verse 20, it's interesting here, just put yourself in this place. Moses said all of these things, we're going to build a sanctuary for God. Anyone who says, we need gold, we need silver, we need bronze, we need all these things that you have, and those who have a willing heart come and bring those things. So everybody left. People left and went back to their tents, the things that they had, and they sat there and they talked amongst their families and they said, well, we got our earrings and we have our necklaces and we have our articles of gold, and so we're going to bring those things. And some other families had some of these materials here, and we're going to bring those things. And some other families talked amongst themselves and says, well, you know what? I I have a skill. You know, I I worked with metal back in Egypt, and so I have this skill, and so I'm going to go, and uh, that's what I'm going to work on. And it says that they were called to have both things. They said whose heart was stirred, that would be to bring materials, and everyone whose spirit was willing was that would be somebody who was willing to do the work. And so this whole combination of this offering that is being brought, people went back to their tents and discussed amongst themselves what they were going to bring. Can you imagine, though, the people, and there were many of them there, that decided to not give? They didn't give anything. We'll have stories later on. Specifically, when it gets to the Torah portion of Korah in the book of Numbers, that there'll be a whole bunch of men that had a whole lot of bronze. They had these bronze censers throughout their entire camp. Uh, clearly, that bronze wasn't donated to the service of the tabernacle. They still had it in their possessions. 
Anything that the people ever had, if anybody still walked around with any sort of jewelry or adornments, they had any gold or silver left in their possession throughout the camp of Israel, clearly they held on to that and it was not given to the service of the tabernacle. Now, it, 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 you put yourself in, that, in, your, in those shoes and you're like, man, how, how is it that, that anybody would have gone back to their tent and not brought something before the Lord? You know, we, we just had the sin of the golden calf thing. God brought us out of Egypt, and then we sinned against him, and he was kind of angry with us, really angry. We saw a bunch of Levites go and kill 3,000 of our, of our brethren right here. God was not happy with the things that we did. Most people in their mindset would go back and they'd be like, you know what, I'm going to give to God whatever God wants at this point in time because I don't want him to be angry with me again. And if that was the motivation that somebody had, well, okay, but at least they were stirred in their hearts positively or negatively, to give to the Lord to the service of the tabernacle. So they went, they gathered it up, and they brought those things. Can you imagine the people that were so stubborn that they didn't bring anything? They didn't bring anything after Moses had said, this is what we're going to do? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things that, as I start to think about it, we know this is the generation that died off in the wilderness, This is the generation of people that did not make it to the promised land. They were a stiff-necked people. They still rebelled against the Lord, rebelled against Moses. How much do you want to bet that the majority of the people that didn't make it to the promised land, these would have been the people that were, you know, older than the age of 20, how many of those people were the ones that refused to bring anything to the service of the tabernacle? I bet there was a lot of them. It wouldn't surprise me, perhaps it's, it's, it's reading maybe too much in between the lines, but the people that brought these things to do the service of the tabernacle and who brought the gold, what if all of these people were the ones that were younger than 20? You could have had a, a married couple that was, you know, maybe 18 years old, and they were the ones that were stirred in their hearts to give it to the Lord, but kind of the, old, the older generation that we know later that they wouldn't enter in the promised land, what if those are the ones that were so stiff-necked and stubborn that they didn't bring the materials. Maybe that's reading in between the lines too much. But however, we got to understand the generation of people that we're talking about here. We know the end of the story. We know they continued to rebel in the wilderness. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but there were those that were stirred in their hearts to give and do these things. Verse 22, this is also fascinating where it says they came both men and women. Literally in the scripture, what it literally reads is it says men with the women. Men with the women. Almost as if that the women were the ones who were stirred more so to give these things to the service of the tabernacle. That actually makes perfect sense to me. And I'll tell you why. As I said before, women tend to be either more emotional about things rather than logical. However, I have seen, at least in my experience, that women are very in tune with the Spirit of God. That they can sense something that is more spiritual in nature often before men can. And it has something to do, I believe, with that sort of emotional nature. Emotions are these things that are, that are metaphysical, you, you, they're immeasurable, you can't really measure the power or the, the, of an emotion or a thought, and that is more of a spiritual thing in nature. And women do tend to be more spiritually in tune than men, again, generally speaking. And so the fact that God spoke, Moses is then giving these words, Whoever has the spirit inside of them stirred to do this, let them bring these things. 
And by simply the nature of men versus women, women are sometimes stirred in those things sooner or more quickly or more so than men are. And so this is the thing that, that where we see actually in the scripture, the women, were, they jumped on board with this. They contributed, and you can think in these first things that are brought, as it says, the nose rings and the necklaces and the jewelry of gold. It's all like they were the first to willingly give these things up, these, uh, these adornments and these ornamental things that people wear for beauty and for status. They were the first to give those things up for the service of the Lord. We actually see the contrast of what some of the, the men actually did. Back at the sin of the golden calf, where, you know, when they came to make the golden calf, they ripped the earrings from their ears of their wives and their children. Those were not given of a willing heart. Those were ripped violently from somebody who did not willingly give to the service of something. But the men were the ones, obviously, that if it's a, it came from the wives, obviously it was the men doing the ripping. And so what happened was we have that contrast here where the willingness of the Spirit of God to give to the service of the sanctuary is being played out here. And we see the contrast in the sin of the golden calf, what it is to serve the Lord and, and, and the, these giftings. And it also says in verse 25, it says this, all the women who were gifted artisans, they spun yarn with the linen and all the women whose hearts were stirred with wisdom, um, they spun goat's hairs. And rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. You can see all the different stations of life within the camp and the things that they did. That the women were immediately stirred of the spirit to do these things. And then some of the rulers who might have had onyx stones. Onyx stones were used, you know, it, for adornment for rulers. These, are, these precious stones were always a status symbol if you had these things. So those people who had those things were stirred to give those things to the Lord. And the people who brought the spices and whoever had those things, the children of Israel, uh, verse 29, brought a free will offering to the Lord. All the men and the women whose hearts were willing bring material of all kinds of work, which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. You see the people acting. And this is the, what it is when people join together and come together as a congregation to do something for good. Once again, keeping in the back of your mind, there were those that brought nothing, who sat in their tents as all of this was going on. Verse 30, this is where we have the recounting of God's calling somebody, some very specific people to do this work. To do this work, Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze and the cutting and cutting jewels for setting and carving of wood, to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. These is, this is all word for word verbatim when God spoke to Moses before in chapter 30. One, giving him the instruction, this is the guy who we're going to, who has been called by God with all of this skill. I said before, the sages think Bezalel, the, the meaning of his name is in the shadow of God, that he couldn't have been any more than about 13 years old. That he was the one who did all of this work, and it, he was called back as well, back in verse, uh, or in chapter 31, verse 6. There's also another man, Aholiav, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He was came together as well, and his name means tent of the father, 
Aholiav. Ahol means tent. Av means father. Of the father. Tent of the father. And this is what he's going to build. He's going to build the tent of the father. These men were going to be brought and called by name by God. One of the other fascinating things that I love bringing out is that the fact that one of them, Bezalel, was from Judah and that Aholiav was from the tribe of Dan. What I've always seen in that is that is a future prophecy that is going to be fulfilled through the, the kingdoms of Israel, where you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was led by the tribe of Judah and the northern kingdom, some of the, the, the lead tribe at the, the furthest north part of the northern kingdom was Dan, and that the whole kingdom of Israel in all of our prophecies were looking for the reunification of the whole house of Israel. If we're ever going to rebuild the sanctuary and the temple of God, we have to do so with the whole house of Israel. And so the fact that we have Bezalel from the tribe of Judah and Aholiab from the tribe of Dan, that that is a foreshadowing of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom needing to come together to build the whole house of God. That's why these two men were brought together. Now, what's very fascinating is as you read our passage here at the end of Exodus, it's so interesting to go back and compare with a previous passage that was given, even though it seems like it's word for word, what you like to do is maybe look for things that are different in one passage versus the other. That's where you look for and that's where you find sometimes new teaching or new understanding. If you go and you compare the wording, word for word of Exodus 31 with these verses beginning at verse 30 of chapter 35, it reads word for word, except with say for one thing. See, back in verse 31, it says this. It says, and indeed, I've appointed him, Oholiab, the son of Aesamach, the tribe of Dan. And that, that, that's what he, he's given this other name after mentioning Bezalel. But in chapter 35, at verse 34, it says this. It's still talking about Bezalel before mentioning Oholiab. He says this. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him and Oholiab, the son of Aesamach. This one phrase is different compared to the other one. Well, then let's talk about that. The difference here is this. We, we know these guys have been filled with the Spirit of God. It says exactly that, that God has put his Spirit inside of them. The Spirit with all manners of skill and understanding to do these things and to do this work. But in verse 34, it specifically says this, And also given the ability to teach. See, because they were not the only ones that did the work. There were all of these other gifted artisans that did this work. These were the ones that had all the skill of, like it said, of the jewelry making, cut, the wood cutting and all of the artistic works and to be able to work in metallurgy with the bronze, the silver, the gold, doing all of these things, the cutting of these jewels. But he couldn't do everything. He's just one man along with the holy oven. These are just two guys. But this building project is, is quite a task. So the spirit inside of them also gave them the ability to teach. That's something that we need to remember even all of our individual lives in all of our personal relationships with God and with one another. If you go to the greatest commandment that the Lord, Lord has given us, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. This is the, this is the Be'ahavta that we say every single week. This is the greatest commandment. The words don't end there. What's the very next thing it says? And you shall teach your children. That's not, that, that's not do love the Lord your God 
and then you and then a completely separate commandment is is teach your children. No, that's all part of the same commandment. So if you love the Lord your God but don't teach your children, then you're not keeping the commandment. That's it's all tied together. Now, obviously somebody might ask, well what if I don't have any children? Well, then of course that doesn't that, that doesn't fit. But however, if we have the spirit inside of us, the emotion and the love that we have for the almighty creator of heaven and earth, and if it's truly filled up inside of us and we're doing it with all of our whole heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, what should naturally come out of us is the desire to share that love with somebody else. And to teach somebody else those same things. That's what it is to have the spirit inside of you. The Messiah himself said, if you go to Matthew chapter 5, that there was this key, obviously in in messianic circles, we know this passage of scripture very well, where the Messiah himself said in in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5, don't think that I come to destroy the law and the prophets. I don't come to destroy, but to fulfill And surely heaven and earth will pass away before any of these things pass away. And so then he continues on. Remember this, verse 19. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and what? Teaches them. He shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Looking at the details of that, okay, there's some different, you know, variation levels. Obviously, he gives the the least and he gives the greatest, saying if you do them and teach them. What if somebody does the commandments but doesn't teach them? Then he doesn't fulfill the commandment or, or this instruction for who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He probably falls somewhere in between. The greatest are the ones who not only keep the commandments, do them, but also teach others. You know, there are also, in contrast there, there's be those, the people, that don't do the commandments, whether it be out of ignorance or whether it be a stubbornness, and they just don't, they don't follow or obey the Lord. But at least they didn't go out of their way to tell others to not keep the commandments of the Lord. The people that stand up that, that go against all religions and tell people to not believe in God, not do anything, the ones who are trying to influence others to not follow God, those are the ones that are in trouble. Those are the ones that are least in the kingdom of heaven. That's why there's, a, there, this, there's this ladder in the kingdom. God says there's some that are great, there's some that are least, and there's got to be, there are those that fall somewhere in between, whether it be ones that keep the commandments that didn't teach, or the ones that didn't do the commandments, but at least they didn't teach others to to do the same. And so that's the thing that we have to remember as well. There's another layer to all of this, to not only keep the commandments, to protect them, to guard them. We know when it says in the scripture to keep the commandments, it's the same Hebrew word for as it is to tend a garden and to to, to nurture them so, so that they can become useful to you. That yes, we keep the commandments. We do the commandments. But if truly, if the Spirit of the Lord is filled up inside of you, you should be teaching others and sharing others and having the testimony to all your loved ones, your family members, anyone you might meet, to teach them of those same words, of those commandments. And again, the the thing that also, the word that keeps popping up in all of our scripture here is also the word heart. That God has put in his heart the ability to teach. Something else you might not have noticed, depending on the translation that you have. Um, let me continue on here uh, as chapter 36 begins. It says, And Bezalel Aholioth, and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding, to know how in all manner of work and service of the sanctuary shall do according to the Lord has commanded. That word gifted artisan, 
gifted artisan in the, here in the scripture, as I looked it up, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew it reads, Hakam Lev. Hakam Lev. Now, Lev is actually the word, Hebrew word for heart. And so the better translation for everywhere where it says gifted artisan, it appears several times in our Torah portion here, is actually every wise-hearted person is to be called to do the work and the service of the sanctuary in wisdom and in understanding. Wise-hearted is actually what the what the, the um, translation should be. That phrase appears exactly seven times in all of Scripture, all in the book of Exodus. It did begin in the Torah portion of Tetzaveh when God said, call all the wise-hearted artisans to make the... Um, uh, the garments of the high priest. And specifically when Bezalel and Aholiab was called in Exodus 31, it did say that you shall call all of the wise-hearted or gifted artisans that they shall do those things. In fact, it's fascinating if you go back to there, it says this. I have put wisdom, this is uh, chapter 31 of Exodus at verse 6. I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the wise-hearted artisans. Seems kind of redundant, actually. If somebody is wise-hearted, then they would have wisdom in their heart. What it goes to say is this. God is the one who has gifted them these things. But it's because God has put these things in their heart that they would then be described as wise-hearted. Every time that you see that even the calling of Bezalel when, it, when it's given, he says, I filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and in knowledge and all these things. God put this inside him, inside his heart. And so then with all the artisans that came together, it all was a giving of one's heart. Remember we say in Teruma, the offering that says anyone who's stirred within their heart. We realize and, and, and we think, yes, the offering is all those physical things. But I, and as I said already, that it's no, that the gifting of what was in one's heart was part of the Teruma offering. It was part of what the people brought to give to the Lord. And it's described here every time that it says, at least in my new King James, it says the word gifted artisans. What it is instead saying is this, every wise hearted person, everybody's heart, whose heart was stirred to do this work is who came. So very fascinating here. So 14 times in this Torah portion alone, it talks about how it all had to do with one's heart. That it's from the heart that we built these things, that we built this sanctuary, because it was God's desire to dwell amongst his people. I've also said before that the tabernacle itself is in the pattern and the, the parallel to the heart of God, and that it's like the the tabernacle itself had four chambers in it. We had the Ark of the Covenant, you had the Holy of Holies, you had the Holy Place, and then you had the outer court. Four chambers made up the tabernacle, and that there are four chambers in the human heart that God desires to dwell in. Four chambers here, four chambers there. Uh, there's a pattern going here where God desires to dwell in this tabernacle, in this sanctuary, in this way. It also connects to us as believers every time that we've ever talked about wanting to invite the Lord into our heart that when people will say, well, my body is a temple and, and, and you need to pay attention to what you eat and what you put into it and that you want to keep yourself healthy and clean and pure. And now people that say that who are religious know it's because we invite the Lord to dwell inside our lives, inside our bodies. 
and that we are to pattern our bodies, this sanctuary, this four-chambered hunk of flesh in our, in our chest, is to be patterned after the things that God has commanded to be in his house. How many people, this is the, one, one of the other big questions here, how many other people look at some of these passages of Scripture and they dismiss them? They dismiss all of this knowledge and understanding of what it is to build the sanctuary before God. What is all this gold and silver and bronze and what's all this details of exactly what it looked like and how much it measured and what the bronze, you know, altar burnt offering looked like and the size of it and why it was there. How many times have even Bible believing Christians dismissed all of these words? Many times over, unfortunately. Some of us who have gone back to study the Torah realize because of the amount of content about this tabernacle, we tend to look favor it as being pretty important to God. And it's not going to stop here at the end of Exodus. When we go into Leviticus, we're going to start talking about the people, the priests who served in the tabernacle and everything they're supposed to do rightly and appropriately so that the service of the tabernacle can be done right. And if it's not done right, if something is unclean, if something is out of place, God is so serious about this, sometimes people even died if they messed this up. This is very important to God that this is established this way. So how many people have the testimony and say, you know what, my body, my heart needs to be a temple to God. But then we think that left to our own devices, we just decide what that temple looks like. Rather than going back to an actual written description where it covers, you know, a chunk of our scripture, actually going to this instruction here to say, you know what? God already commanded at one point in time what his sanctuary is supposed to look like. I'm going to make sure my heart looks like this. That's what we need to do. As we read these words, now look, we, we can just try to wrap our head around this physical thing that was created and how they did it with the ancient technology that they had and, and exactly the, the words that are being said here. But what we need to be doing, seriously, as believers, though, is reading these words and picturing a sanctuary being built spiritually inside our hearts. That you not only put in your heart and invite God into your heart, not that your heart is just simply empty, that there's nothing there. That, yeah, you worship the Lord and, you know, we're told to cast out unclean things. So let's just say I'm a, I'm a blank slate waiting for the Lord to come in and invite him into, a, into my heart. Well, what should I also do spiritually inside myself to entreat the Lord so that he might desire to dwell and stay in my heart. Well, you know what? I better have a place for him, a place that only he's allowed to go, such as the Holy of Holies, spiritually, inside my prayer life. And that's a place where nobody goes, nobody, you don't invite anybody else into that place inside your heart. But then you worship him and let there always be light in your heart, spiritual light, whether that you can call that positivity or whether you just call that um, goodness inside your life and inside your heart. And that's light. And it should always be nourished spiritually with bread and with sacrifices and that you should always be clean. And so you have a way to clean yourself spiritually with, like, say, the bronze laver and that you look inside your heart and picture the sanctuary of God in there. And it should look like this. God had a plan and a purpose, and he was very specific of what his sanctuary should look like. And he describes it all here. Now, as we go into the last couple of chapters of Exodus, the scripture gets very redundant. 
Very redundant. In fact, going into chapter 37, verse for verse of chapter 37 repeats verbatim verses from Exodus chapter 25. When we're talking about the building of the Ark of Testimony, verse for verse lines up with Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 22. The making of the showbread from uh, in 30, chapter 37, verses 10 through uh, 16, is verbatim Exodus 25, 23 through 30. And it's then so on and so forth with the building of the gold, gold lampstand and also the altar of incense is verbatim Exodus chapter 30, the first five verses. And so we look at this and we can be, we can read this and man like... Haven't we read this before? Haven't I already heard this instruction back here in Exodus? If I was really reading the, all of these words and, 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 and putting them to, giving them, putting my heart into it and listening to these words and these instructions, shouldn't I have already figured this out and known this? Do I have to really have this repeated for me? God, in this case, is tapping into what I truly believe is part of our human condition. Our human condition to not hear or understand something perhaps the first time that we're, it's told to us. How many times do children uh, disobey even after you've told them to do something and they still disobey and you have to repeat it to them? God is tapping into something here where something has to be repeated to us, especially something that's very important. This, I mean, this goes back to even with Abraham, when God called Abraham, how many times did he call him every time he called him? Twice. He said, Abraham, Abraham. And it got Abraham's attention. When we talk about Abraham being this amazing man of faith, it's all like, man, an amazing man of faith, he probably would respond if he's called once. But he still was called twice. Now, that could be tied to the plurality of God, yes. It also can be a human condition inside of our hearts and our minds that sometimes for even the most important things, we, it has to be repeated twice to us. Not only should it have to be repeated Almost, if it's something we truly, our heart is in it, we enjoy listening to it again. That's a completely different way to look at it. So many times you might say, oh man, why do I have to tell somebody twice? But to other people, if they really enjoy the story, if they love their parents and love the instruction that comes from their parents, you sit down and you're like, yeah, tell the story again. I love when you repeat it. I, I, I love the, that instruction that I get to hear it twice rather than I have to hear it twice. That's the case here with our scripture here. When so we're talking about God's sanctuary is going to be so beautiful, so incredible, and we have to put this work in that we get to cover it twice in our Torah portion because of how important and how special it is. And as I've tried to convey to you, it's about God, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, dwelling inside your heart. He's always there with you. He's always there to guide you and to be there for you. And you always have a high priest and Yeshua the Messiah inside that sanctuary to be an intermediary between you and God, and you get to live your life in the presence of God. Amen and amen. That's the greatest thing that I could ever encourage you to tell you, to be a believer in God so that you can enjoy that. That's why we're talking about again. That's why we're reading again. Build this sanctuary in this way so that God will dwell inside your heart and inside your life. Now, the details that are given in here, man, it, it, it is so specific. I believe that, that, is not, that, that there is no idle word in the Scripture. That just because it looks word for word the same as another passage of, of Scripture does not make it idle or of, of no importance because, it's, because it was already said before. 
when what it is is sometimes there's two natures to all of us and we have to hear something twice and that spiritually there's a temple being built that when God spoke to Moses from the mountain he was talking about the spiritual temple that is in heaven and when the people are building it here at the end of Exodus that's when he's talking to us that's when Moses the intermediary between God and the people at this point in time is telling the people this is what you need to do and so the building of the tabernacle at the end of Exodus is about us putting the, our hearts, with our hearts being stirred to do the work, to build this sanctuary for God. The, before it was the instruction. We're talking about what, God, what Moses saw in heaven and the spiritual tabernacle. Here is where the rubber hits the road. Here is where the people do the work. This is the time in which, now, if you didn't get it before, as I taught to Ruma, that it's in this passage of Scripture... That if you didn't get it before, understand it now. You are building a sanctuary for God inside your own life. Inside your own heart. That inside your own homes, in your physical homes, when you build and establish your home, you create a sense of order inside your home. Where you have a table that's clean. You have bread and you have light. You don't live in darkness. You don't live in something that, that a smell that is unpleasant. No, you, have a, you make your house to smell pleasant. For your family's sake, and also if you ever have an invited guest over, that you build and establish your house just as God established his house as well. Our first portion here of Viakel continues all the way through the middle of chapter 38. That closes out the instruction for the making of the altar of burnt offering, the bronze altar. Also the making of the bronze laver here in verse 8 of chapter 38. This is where I had said before that the bronze laver was made from the mirrors that the women had donated to give to the Lord. And that that bronze laver was very reflective and that it all had to do with you reflecting upon yourself as you cleaned your hands and your feet before entering into the sanctuary of God. And then also the continuing the making of the outer court of the tabernacle, that it was we were building this house and establishing it. And then from the next passages that we'll go into next week is when we'll actually count up the amount that was given. And there's some interesting uh, things to those uh, numbers and figures of what was donated. And then also we're going to then make the garments of the priesthood and Moses is going to go in and finish the tabernacle. So this is what I would submit, and this is what I would encourage all of us, brethren, hearing these words and these instructions for this week of this tour and this year, this tour cycle, is that for this week going into next week, that we focus on and concentrate on building our hearts to be clean and pure for God to dwell in. We still have another teaching next week to where we will talk about Moses going in and finishing everything, putting everything in place. Now, we might, we, we might not be able to do all those things to uh, put it and arrange it so God is happy when he's present in our lives. But we can build the things. Then the intermediary, the high priest or the one who is playing the role of the high priest in the case of Moses, he goes into the sanctuary and finishes it so that the glory of God can then dwell in. So what I would encourage us to think about and pray about for our in our prayer lives this week is to think about, have you brought everything of a willing heart that you can provide so that you can go into the service of the Lord? And maybe you can't build it yet, establish it, or put it all in the right place, but have you brought it all to the best of your ability? 
Then there will be others that will come that will help to arrange it, that will encourage you and strengthen you and put it all in the right place. And then after those things have come together, then the glory of God then dwells in your life. See, that's a misconception that some of us all make when we become believers in God. We believe if we make this confession of faith, that we've invited him into our life, that suddenly everything is all working correctly, right? That everything is all in place and suddenly, I, Lord, I invited you into my heart. Why is my life now not better? See, what happens, though, is that there's a time that has to, there's a maturation that has to take place in the heart of every believer. That he, sometimes that, that there's still more work to be done. Other people have to come into your life and they have to help to mold and shape those things that you have given to the Lord. And that after you've presented yourself as clean and pure and there's a priesthood in place and, there is a, and, and there's an order and a structure, then his glory comes and dwells inside of you. That it's not just a quick change of look. If it was, if it was all that quick, then suddenly God would have brought all the children of Israel out of Egypt, changed their hearts and their minds to be holy people before him and move them to the promised land right away. It's not that simple. It's not that short of a process. He wants us to build it over time for us to mature. This is the natural progression of things. This is why children aren't born and immediately given all of these responsibilities that adults are. This is the journey of life that we have being played out in front of us. And so us as believers, we need to look at the children of Israel as they mature through this process, as they learn to be hosts to the Lord with his presence dwelling in them. We need to learn from their mistakes. We need to learn to do as they did when they did well, so that when the Lord comes and dwells in our, inside our lives, that we are doing so rightly and appropriately, and that we are growing and maturing in the right way way. I pray that the Lord would stir in all of our hearts to turn our attentions back to the Lord. If we have been gone astray, if we have sinned, just like all this instruction happened, and then we have the sin of the golden calf, but God's mercy is, is everlasting. His mercies are new every single day, yet he's still willing to do for us and still willing to give us this instruction. May we be like those that our hearts were stirred immediately to give these things to the Lord. To build his sanctuary. So I pray that we would all be stirred to do these things and to build this place and for God to dwell inside all of our hearts. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day, Father. We thank you for all this teaching and instruction here in Exodus. And Father, we thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that you would uh, give us a mission, Lord. Commission us this week, Lord, to truly reflect upon ourselves and inside our hearts, Lord. If we have given to you all that we can, if our hearts have truly been stirred, Lord, to give to you those things that that we have cast out our own adornments, our own ornaments, Lord, that would cause us to stand out before our brethren, Lord, may we cast all of those things away, Lord, and give them to you so that we become servants of you, that we might look humble before you, Lord, and that we might walk humbly and but uprightly before you. May we give all everything that we have of our hearts, Lord. May, may we not be like the ones who, who, whose hearts turned to stone, Lord, and who still refused to bring you the gifts that are deserving to you. So, Father, I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen this week, Father. And, Father, I pray that you'd continue to establish in your people, Lord, 
your sanctuary and just lead us and guide us with your Holy Spirit in all things. Dwell with us. Be in our lives, Lord. For, Lord, we cannot go about our daily lives without you. For you are our daily bread and our provision, and you take care of us, and you nourish us, and you strengthen us every single day. So, Father, dwell in our hearts and in our lives, Lord. Establish it as a sanctuary to you. So, Father, we love you. We bless you and thank you for all these teachings. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. And now the blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natan lanu Torah temet V'chai alam natah betocheinu Baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-Torah ha-Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. When the sun has set on a Friday night, bringing peace into your home, families will gather all around singing Shabbat Shalom. Everybody sing. Shalom, shalom, God has put a smile upon your face. He's got the whole world in his hands. So obey his commands and you will know peace. Shall